Hi, I'm Joyce. And I'm Doyen Sola. And you're listening to The Confidant. A podcast where we discuss the news you need to know at the intersection of business, tech, and culture. On this episode, we're going to fill you in on Netflix password sharing crackdown, Apple's new mixed reality headset, and how some companies are dialing back on the quote unquote woke marketing. Before we get into all of that, Joyce, how was your week? My week has been really good. Honestly, I've been very locked in um, a la Sarah Jakes Roberts. If you know, you know, she had a viral um, moment where her wig fell off while she was preaching. But the message was just that good. I've been very focused on some goals, making sure that I'm getting myself right for the summer and beyond. I think a lot of people focus on self-improvement in terms of seasons. And now that summer is here, it's a time when people begin to relax. Okay, so you're using this summer to really check some things off of your goal list while other people are relaxing out by the pool. You're like, I got to get to it. I got to hustle. Period. This is act bad summer, like the city girl said. By act bad, I mean, I'm acting up. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. sure, sure. Noted, noted. How about you, Doyen? How's your week? This week was interesting. It started off strong. And then I looked out of the window one day and it was orange. And it felt like New York was having an apocalyptic moment. What was going on? Why is the sky orange? And then we figured out that it was the smoke from Canada's wildfires being blown over the eastern coast of the U.S. That really put a shock in my system this week. It was kind of like, whoa. People said that New York had the Mexico filter or the Saudi Arabia filter over the city. It was very much so giving Hollywood, Middle East, desert filter. Um, (laughs) But we made it through. The air quality cleared up. Could take a nice deep breath outside. And then I went to my first horse race on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. I went to the Belmont Stakes on Long Island. And it was cute. I made a little money. You know, I, I placed a little bet. Wait, hold on. So you put money down on this horse race. How did you know which horse to pick? It's interesting because you get the different stats about the horse. You get their career, how old they are, how they performed in previous races. And then from there, you make an educated guess on who you think will win. And they say that a lot of people have beginner's luck. And I did. But I only bet $2. <laughs> You know what? Something is better than nothing. That'll give Something... you a nice train fare. Listen, yeah, it was a low bet. Now I know, okay, maybe I should up it next time. Maybe next time I'll do $5. You gotta you know raise the saying? stakes. You gotta raise the Raise stakes. the stakes, exactly. Another thing I want to bring up from this past week, imagine my surprise when I went down home to Florida to go visit my family and I wanted to watch Netflix while I was there. So I logged into the account, which, by the way, I'm paying for the whole family's access to the site. And then they hit me with this thing that says, you are not in your regular household. You need to make a new account or you need to pay extra. I couldn't believe that I finally got hit with the paywall. So Netflix's password crackdown caught up with you, Joyce. You were unsuspecting. You was sitting down. You was ready to enjoy a show. Perhaps you had a little a little drink next to you, snuggled under a little blankie. And Netflix said, hold on, wait a minute. Run us our money. I was in denial. Netflix has been saying that if you have the standard plan that costs around $15 a month, 
you do have an option to add one extra member who can use the service outside of your household for an extra $8 a month. This is their way of breaking up that whole password sharing where you had your sister's account, your ex-boyfriend's account, and making sure that their subscriber numbers stay up. It's been affecting Netflix's business at the fact that we're also community oriented. I've been using my friend's password for Netflix since 2018, okay? I go on, I click my profile, I watch my television programs. Netflix needs to find a way to hold on to subscribers outside of the moments when they're dropping new seasons of Bridgerton, for example, or something that's hot that a lot of people wanna watch. I'm sure there are a few people who create accounts just to watch the show that's generating a lot of conversation. And then once they binge it, perhaps they drop it. I know personally, I'm a subscription hopper. I cannot have Hulu at the same time that I have Amazon Prime at the same time that I have Disney. That's my own personal financial budgeting decision. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that approaches streaming that way because it does add up significantly. Yeah, you're not the only person who does this. This phenomenon is actually called subscriber churn. And it's where people are just constantly signing up, making new accounts and dropping off. Honestly, I don't blame the average consumer because if you're paying $15 here, $7 here, $10 here, especially with these options where you have advertisements on one end or you can pay more for no ads, at some point you're paying the average price of cable, which is like $70, $75 for a plan. This is not the first time that Netflix has done this. They've already expanded this test to Canada, New Zealand, Portugal, and Spain, to name a few countries, back in February. So tell me how it works exactly. I know that they're checking IP addresses and looking at where people are logging in. Yeah, the IP address is assigned to your device by your internet service provider, your device being your modem, your router, and so, when you log in from your house in New Jersey, it detects that these are two different locations entirely. It's like an address, the same way we have an address for our homes. Right. Your internet has an address on its own. That's your ID, that's your digital footprint. That's how even, you know, when you see the FBI comes down and tracks people for crimes, they use the IP address to do that. So it has a lot of information in it. And Netflix is now taking that information to make sure that their subscriptions are not being divided and that they're getting as much money as possible because they know that they have a lot of eyeballs on their service. Netflix itself said that it has more than 100 million people worldwide who watch its content using borrowed passwords. Mm. They're trying to collect that coin. It looks like it's working. Antenna, which tracks streaming analytics, said that Netflix amassed more new subscriptions in the U.S. between May 25th and 28th, shortly after Netflix announced that they would crack down on password sharing than in any other four-day period since Antenna began compiling such data in 2019. This is good news for the streaming companies because I have the inkling that other streaming services are probably going to follow suit. But for the consumers, I feel like we're just going to start having to make that decision. What service am I going to stick to? You used to be able to hop around with ease. I feel like they're going to make it much harder for you to do so. So are you HBO gang or should I say Max gang? Are you Netflix gang? Are you Hulu down? 
What's up? I think people are going to start picking subscriptions to be subscribed to for a month at a time, which is what I do. This month, I want to be subscribed to Hulu so I can watch Abbott Elementary. But next month, I might want to watch reruns of Insecure on Max. So I don't think that people are going to have loyalty. I think that they're just going to start hopping around based on what's hot, based on what people are talking about. All right. So it seems like that the content drives the conversation at the end of the day. Exactly. Apparently, Apple has released a new headset, question mark? It's been nearly 10 years since Apple revealed its last major product, the Apple Watch, and the new virtual or mixed reality headset, Vision Pro, is being considered one of its most innovative releases since the drop of the original iPhone. This new mixed reality headset has a hefty price tag, $3,499. With that being said, is this something that you see the average person adopting for everyday use? Short answer is definitely no. Long answer is Apple has had a reputation of transforming the way we look at a phone, at a watch, at even headphones, right? Who needs wires? You know what I mean? Apple has revolutionized a lot of these things that we have used and brought them into what feels like the future. The Apple Vision Pro, I don't know in what scenario that is going to be a part of people's everyday lives in a way that an iPhone is or an Apple Watch is. I think that this will appeal to too small of a demographic, gamers, gadget enthusiasts. I don't see why the mom with four kids is going to say, yeah, I need an Apple Vision Pro and I need one immediately. I don't know the, what is the everyday use of this thing. And especially in an environment where there seems to be a hypervigilance about technology and AI, I just feel like this is another product that's just going to make people feel more disconnected at a time when people are feeling like we need to be more connected. So let's get into the stats. Apple says that the Vision Pro is supposed to seamlessly blend digital content with your physical space. So instead of a virtual reality device where you go in, you put it on, and it completely immerses you into a different digital world, you have the combination of your real life and the virtual reality because you can see things like floating icons and video and different screens and panels, things you can click, all while still being aware of your surroundings. It has a transparency to it that you can be sitting in your living room and know that you're in your living room still, but also get ready to watch a movie or get ready to go on a FaceTime call with someone. It seems like if Vision Pros really take off, it would make the iPhone or the Apple Watch a bit obsolete. Because if you can join a FaceTime call with video tiles that are life-size, according to the website, you can see your schedule, you can bring up widgets, it kind of gets rid of the need to have your other devices. I don't think so. I'm not dragging a Vision Pro to the hot yoga studio. Even if it were so portable, a lot of people already are saying that after prolonged wear, about 30 minutes or so, you start to feel the weight of the product. And also even the image resolution is still grainy. So it might be in its beta phase, but there's still a lot of kinks to be worked out before that this is something that people integrate into their daily lives. 
I'm not running on the treadmill with this thing. I can barely support my AirPods, funny enough. It feels very space age. There's always a technology that comes along that sounds ridiculous until it is commonplace. So could we see people commuting to and from work wearing these devices on a regular in about 20, 30 years? I actually wouldn't be surprised, but right now it seems a bit far-fetched, but I think it's just part of Apple playing the game of being ahead of the curve, especially a couple weeks after Meta released its own virtual reality headset. Absolutely. It does seem like Apple wants to make sure that they are competitive in this space, but it just feels like a device that's gonna make us even more isolated and impact our connection with others if it does become popular. So imagine being at dinner and I'm like, yeah, Joyce. And then I get a widget pop up in front of my eyeball that's like, (laughs) incoming call. And I'm like, oh, hold on one second. Hey girl, now I'm off looking off into the distance, talking to somebody. What like, what's going on? What's happening? It's like that episode of Black Mirror where they were able to take the little chip thing and put it on their temple and just transport into a new world. Again, I don't feel like these things are super far-fetched. I just know that I'm not spending $4,000 on something that's going to make my head hurt in a few, you know, after a few uses. We will have to see if this takes off and we see people walking down the street with Vision Pros on. It'll be interesting. Well, I'm going to move out their way because I know they can't really see where they're going. (laughs) So something that caught my attention this week that I really wanted us to talk about was a case involving Equinox Gym. You know, the bougiest of gyms. The one with the keels in the bathroom? With the keels lotions in the bathroom and eucalyptus infused towels. A former employee said that she was unlawfully terminated and her case was settled in court where she won 11.25 million American dollars. The company said they terminated her because she was late 47 times in 10 months. She says they terminated her because she was a black woman and she was calling out racial bias and discriminatory practices at the gym. I saw that some of the instances that she described, she says that there was a middle-aged white man who refused to accept her as his supervisor. Also, it's reported that he repeatedly delivered these vulgar takes on Black women's bodies. As if this isn't bad enough, she said there was an instance where a client specifically requested a white trainer as opposed to Robin Europe, who is a Black woman, and instead of her co-workers letting the client know that that is unacceptable, we're not going to accept a request like that, allegedly when she brought this up, they retaliated and said that, by the way, you were late today. So she says that they were using a conversation about her punctuality to really cover up and reprimand her for speaking up about racial injustice in the workplace. She also mentioned that she had been struggling with bulimia that was made worse by the pressures and the stresses that she was facing while being an employee at Equinox. And that's the thing about racism or discrimination. Mm. It's always, I'm actually surprised that the outcome of this case resulted in such a large settlement because it's really hard to prove racism in court unless it's Mm -hmm. something overt like a hate crime. I think sometimes, especially as a woman of color, 
you just it's a gut feeling it's something that doesn't feel right you don't you no longer feel secure you no longer feel safe or accepted you feel judged and it can really affect different aspects of your life it can work against you in ways that you're not even aware of because people are keeping information from you or they're not even bold enough to clearly state what exactly the issue is you just know that there's a problem there absolutely and i think this is interesting because when you take a step back in november a federal jury in texas awarded a black saleswoman 366 million dollars because she had sued fedex over discrimination in a case according to the new york times that was thought to deliver the largest ever verdict in litigation involving employment and racial bias wow to go back to what you were saying about how it can be so difficult to prove racial discrimination in a workplace it seems like it is becoming more possible and i think that is in part to juries being more aware of what people of different racial and ethnic and religious backgrounds do experience. So it seems like the shift in social conversations about race and bias is trickling down into the court system, making it easier for people to win these sort of cases. My question is, how do you put a price on pain? How much is enough to cover what these people have experienced? I mean, I'm no lawyer, so I'm sure that there may be some systems in place to determine maybe wages earned in the matter of time that someone was working at a place or money lost if you're a customer who has experienced uh, discrimination from a company. From what I understand, there are at least you get to file emotional damages claims as well as what you would have been paid if you hadn't lost your job. And honestly, I guess that comes down to getting you a really good legal team. At a time where we usually expect companies to be coming out and expressing their solidarity with the LGBTQ plus community, they've been receiving pushback from conservative groups and political leaders, causing there to be a lot more tension this month than there has been in the past. It's really interesting given how vocal a lot of companies have been about diversity and inclusion, but Right now, more than 500 bills have been proposed or passed in state legislators this year, and those restrict gender-based medical treatments for children and adults, limiting transgender participation in sports and more. One example of conservative consumers pushing back on LGBTQI plus marketing was when the makers of Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, sent a transgender social media star, Dylan Mulvaney, a personalized beer can. More recently, Target pulled some pride apparel and items and pushed it to the back of the store because they said they needed to do it to protect their employees' safety. The question lingering, though, was, was this really for employee safety or were they trying not to experience a similar backlash that Bud Light had received where conservative consumers had made the concerted effort to boycott the beer and it's actually impacting their sales in the U.S.? Bud Light's sales are so down that Miller Light and Coors Light, their competitors, their sales have skyrocketed in the last few weeks. 
just because people are looking for different alternatives and taking this boycott seriously and getting away from the numbers. I've been seeing a lot of videos pop up on TikTok, on Twitter, of people literally taking Bud Light cans out in their backyards and shooting them. A lot of people feel pressured by diverse messaging in a way that makes them feel either left out or feel like different lifestyles are being pushed upon them. And in response, they're making their voices known. What do companies do when they're caught in between this culture war? And it seems like companies are dialing it back. You know, they're they're really thinking about their marketing and they're trying to figure out do we need to comment on every social issue? And it creates an issue for them because on one hand, I'm sure they want to have messaging that is allied with different identity groups, but at the same time, they don't want to alienate consumers that may not agree with these social views. Well, how do you win in that instance? Because there's always going to be someone that doesn't agree with something. Everyone exactly. is not black. So when Black History Month comes around, someone's going to be pissed off and everyone is not queer. So when pride comes around, same concept. But the reason why a lot of these initiatives are in place is because these are marginalized groups that are being highlighted. These are groups that are underrepresented traditionally that in the workforce, in society. So I don't know. It's, it's very tough, but I'm kind of disappointed to see how much companies have dialed back in their messaging, especially after 2020, when so many places had committed explicitly to be more inclusive after seeing the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other instances that made people literally get up and riot. It is unfortunate, but there's a part of me that understands that these companies are in a tight position and their number one priority is their bottom line. If you are a beer company and you don't want to lose a majority of your beer drinkers, people who have been drinking your products for decades, you might take their complaints more seriously. But that's why I wouldn't want to be a chief marketing officer right now, because on one hand, you have to decide these are our values. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. You don't have to use our product if you don't agree with us having allyship with the LGBTQ plus community, the Black community, the Asian community. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And Bud Light actually put two of their marketing officers on leave because of this controversy. Wow. So for me, I think it also depends on what kind of company are you, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not necessarily expecting every company to say something about everything. Like, I was not expecting Cracker Barrel to put out a pride campaign. And I think it really ties into companies knowing their market. They know where their stores are located. They know who's buying into their products or their services. So you have to know how people will respond or at least be able to anticipate based off the hard data that you already have access to. Cracker Barrel has been getting so much heat after releasing a pride campaign where they did a pop-up putting rainbow colored rocking chairs, their signature feature, out where people can have candid conversations to the point where people are on Twitter, the wasteland that is Twitter now. Girl. <laughs> people are on Twitter 
saying that Cracker Barrel has fallen. You know what's tough about that? They already have their consumer. They already have their customer. But at the same time, they want to appeal to more people. So they have more people using their products. They want to expand. They want to scale. So it's like, yeah, they have to know who their current demographic is. But then if you want to get more diverse customers, you have to do something to appeal to them. They're in a really tight position. They really are. And we have to see how the rest of this month plays out. That was a lot of tense conversation, but I think it's time for us to dig into the things that make us feel good, that make us optimistic about our world. Mm -hmm. It's time for a little something sweet. Joanne, what are you into this week? This week, I'm looking forward to my self-care, my pampering. I got to get my nails done. I'm due for a trim. I might get a little massage, work out those knots. Because (laughs) as we talked about, the summer is time for enjoyment. I have to make sure that every bit of me is prepared for the enjoyment. It is the start of the summer. It's giving 80 degrees consistently, shorts, sandals, block parties. We have to be prepared for these things. Honestly. So I'm going to I'm gonna pamper myself. I'm going to be glistening. Well, I can't wait to see it. You know, the people <laughs> need to see you outside this summer. What about you, Joyce? What's happening for you this week? Oh, nothing much. Just celebrating that my city. It's a parade inside my city, yeah. South Florida is the epicenter of sports recently. Right now, Miami Heat is in the NBA Finals going against the Denver Nuggets. And, you know, this this episode is being recorded before um, their next game in Denver. Hopefully they come out with a win and can claim themselves the champions. But, you know, the way things have been looking, I'm just, you know, I'm clapping for them boys already. I'm proud of you, Miami. We're holding you down. But also in sports news, um, we have the Florida Panthers in the NHL Stanley Cup final and soccer legend Lionel Messi just announced that he's going to sign with Inter Miami. So we are win for win for win. I'm so excited. And I'm not even a sports girl like that, but you know I like to pull up to the function. First of all, you sound like a sports girly. Let me say that. And then I want our listeners to know, while she just went up from Miami like that, she got on a New York Yankees hat. Hold on, pause. I pay taxes here, so (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm going to wear the hat. I'm going to wear the merch, but home is where the heart is. And the heart is in MIA. It's a parade inside my city, Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Confidant. See you next time. You know where to find us. Her.